0: Beloved, beloved. And I want you to think, first of all, I want you to think about the charity or the love of Jude. Um, This beloved is a term of endearment. This is a, this is, you are loved, you mean something to me, to me. Now, I love you isn't something we just throw around, right? We don't, um, there isn't a woman in this church that I've walked up and said, I love you to, other than my wife. Why? Because, uh, hello, that'd be weird. Right? I mean, we, we, don't, we don't take love, or I love you, and just throw it around. Now, we throw the word love around, though. I love chocolate. I love my cat. How in the world do you love your cat? I don't know, but people do. But we love all sorts of stuff, and we use that lo- word love very loosely, but here, Uh, Jude calls these people his beloved. They meant something to him. They were in his heart. He loved these people. And the reality is, is we all like to be loved. But here's another thing. Jude is about to kind of switch gears. And so he is kind of prefacing what he's about to do or say. He's starting with that love, with that relationship. And you know, many times in our lives, even with the teens, um, I had a preacher tell me a long time ago nobody cares how much you know unless they know how much, or nobody, yeah, nobody cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. And when you love somebody and you really love them and they know you love them, you can almost yell at them about anything and they'll take it because they know you love them. And teens are very much that way. If a teenager knows you love them and they've seen you love them, they will. you can stop them and say, listen, you've got to stop. Or, I mean, you can get on them. But if you just get on them, you know what happens? They just tune you out. I was very much that way. I've had, I remember even in college, I had married students come up to me my freshman year because I was a pain my freshman year at Ambassador Baptist College. You don't know. Stop shaking your head. Um, but... I had married students who didn't even know me come up to me and put their finger in my chest and tell me I needed to shape up. And it was just kind of like, who are you? Because they didn't know me and they didn't take any interest in me. But here Jude is banking on that relationship, that love, because of what he's about to tell them. And the truth is, is you and I are the same way. When somebody loves us, they can tell us when we're wrong. When somebody loves us, they can say, hey, you need to stop and think about this. But the, same, the opposite is also true. When somebody doesn't love us and they try to confront us, we get defensive. It's like, get out of my face. Who are you? So Jude is using that love that he has. It's interesting. You could go to Romans chapter 16. And as Paul is concluding the book of Romans, in verses eight, nine, and 12, he uses this word beloved in, in relation to certain people that he wanted greeted or saluted when the book was read and he uses this word, beloved. They were people that were dear to him, people that were close to him. Um, You can go to 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 1 Corinthians 10, and then in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 58, where we are told to uh, be fervent in the service of the Lord, he uses the word beloved again. And what he's doing is he is establishing that relationship, that connection of, hey, we love each other, we care about each other, And what I am telling you is not because I don't like you or because I'm mad at you, but because I love you. Um, Pastor was preaching a couple weeks ago and I had this, this, this thought that, you know, sometimes we have negative circumstances come into our lives. And one thing that we have to realize is that God in his mercy, in his love for you and me, allows things to come into our lives to draw us closer to himself. And he does that in his mercy and in his love. We see our bad circumstances. We think, oh, this is awful. This is horrible. We had something even today. And you know what the Lord is trying to do? He's saying, Wes, come to me. Wes, come to me. And he does that in our lives out of his his mercy and out of love. So here, Jude, out of love, out of charity, is wanting to address an issue with these people. So we see his charity. The second thing we see is his clarification. Notice the, rest of, or the next part of verse 3. He says, beloved. He says, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was, it was needful for me to write unto you. So notice, first of all, that Paul had an, ori- an original intention. He wanted to write to them about their common salvation. He had a desire and he gave all diligence. I can literally see Jude like by candlelight to the late, early mornings sitting there trying to write his letter and he's writing about the common salvation and he's talking about the love of God and he's talking about grace and he's talking about mercy and he's writing it and I see him looking at it crumpling, up, throwing it in the trash and saying it's not right. And so he starts again. He's got his pen out and he's writing and he and he's writing about that common salvation, he's trying to be an encouragement and help and he crumples it up and he throws it in the trash can. And I see that trash can flowing over. Because it's not what God wanted. And you could probably ask pastor, I've been there where I've had something where I'm like, "Man, I would love to preach something encouraging. I would love to preach something that just was strengthening to the people and just was a help to them. But it's like, there's that one thing and God's like, no, you need to preach on that. Or you need to preach against that. And it's like, why? That's not really what I want to preach. But it's like, you can't get away from it. And that's where Jude was. He couldn't get away from what he needed to write. He couldn't get away from it. And so here he says, I gave all diligence diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful. Literally, it was impressed upon me. There There was an urge. There was something in his heart, in his mind that he could not get rid of. It was there over and over and over and over again and he just couldn't get away from it. And so finally, it's like, okay, I'll write the letter. Okay, I'll write what you want me to write, God. And sometimes preaching is that way. Sometimes it's like, okay, God, I'll preach what you want me to preach. Because sometimes it's not always easy to preach what God wants me to preach. Some topics and some conversations aren't easy and they're hard. And you have to preach it. God says to. And that's where Jude was. So what was it that was so hard for Jude to preach? Well, we see that he says, and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith, which once was delivered unto the saints. Now we might say, "Well, what's so hard about that, Jude? What's the problem? Why, why, couldn't you just write that letter?" Well, the truth is, is if you look at verse four, there were certain men crept in unawares. So he's about to have a confrontation with some people, and he's about to point out some things. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be hard. And uh, we'll talk about that here in verse four in just a second. But I want to talk to you about this, and exhort ye that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which once was delivered unto the saints. Contending for the faith. Contending for the faith. A couple things I want you to think about. First thing I want you to think about is the exhortation. He says, and exhort you. The word exhort is really neat. Because it is similar to the word paraclete. Now, you've probably heard the word paraclete at some time in your life because it is the word for the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, when Jesus Christ talks about the comforter, it is this word. It is the para. It's not the same ending and everything, but it is the same idea it literally means to come along the side of it means to come along and help it means to come along and encourage or to strengthen it's literally like the idea of somebody in a football game blows out their knee and they got a guy on each arm and they help them off the field okay that's this word exhort and so there's a couple things i want you to think about when it comes to this word exhort the first thing i want you to think about is this he tells them to earnestly contend He exhorts them to contend, and that contend is a choice. So he is exhorting them to make a choice. It was interesting to me that this word, earnestly contend, is not an imperative. It's not a command. It's actually a middle or a passive voice, and in Greek, usually determine that by the context. Here it is a middle voice. It is something you have to choose to do for yourself. And so here, Jude is encouraging them to contend, to make the choice to contend. So it's a choice. But the second thing I want you to think about is the camaraderie. Get this, Jude is telling them to earnestly contend, and he is is exhorting them. And this word exhort, like I said, is that paraclete, is like the Holy Spirit, the comforter. It is that aid, it is that strengthening, it is that encouragement. There is a camaraderie in this contention. You don't have to do it on your own. Jude here is encouraging them to contend while he is contending. He's saying, let's do this together. we It's like pastor getting up here and um, encouraging us to pass these out. Pastor's not saying, here, pass these out. That's not what he did. It's not, he said, hey, we're passing these out at Arby's. Make sure you pass these out. What are we doing? We're contending together. It's not just you by yourself. It's not just trying to make it through this life on your own. No, we can contend together. Here, of course, it's specifically for the faith, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But there's a camaraderie. We can do it together. But not only is there a choice and a camaraderie, but also there is a comfort. He is not coming to them, exhorting them, and putting his finger in their face and yelling and screaming at them. He is coming to them. And you know what? There is a comfort when we work together. When we work together. And so, this exhortation is a choice. There's a camaraderie and there is a comfort. But not only that, but next, what does he exhort them to do? To earnestly contend. To earnestly contend. This literally means to contend and to give it everything you have. Um, I believe this is the only verse in the Bible where this word is used. I can't help but think about our boys when they wrestle. They earnestly contend. They earnestly contend. But let me ask you a question. Let's say you were gonna be in a boxing match. I don't really wanna do that. There's certain people I definitely don't wanna do that with. But let's say you're gonna be in a boxing match. Here at the church, we're gonna make a ring. We're gonna put up ropes, posts, the whole nine. We're gonna get boxing gloves. You are gonna box somebody else from Platte Valley Baptist Church would you just want to wing it? You wouldn't want to just wing it, would you? I mean, maybe Mary, Mary and Sarah. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Ding, ding, let's go. I don't know. But I, I thought, I was thinking about this. Honestly, I was thinking about this kind of on the plane last night as we were flying home. And um, I was thinking about contending. And I was thinking, if you were going to be in a match, whether it's a wrestling match, a boxing match, um, whatever, whatever it was, if it was you against somebody else, or even if it was a team sport or whatever, whatever you're contending for. I, I thought about this. I thought, you know what? I, there's a th- few things I would want. Number one, I'd want training. I'd want to train. I'd want to be taught how to box, how to wrestle, how to do what I need to do. I would want some training. Secondly, I would want the tools that I need. What do I need to do it? Give me the, the tools or the equipment. The things I need so that I can contend well. But not only do I need training and tools, but I need some time. I gotta prepare. I gotta get ready. You know, what, you know what would really be nice? Some talent. Some talent might help. You know, I'd just like to be naturally gifted towards it, you know, and be able to just get out there on the court or the mat or whatever and have some natural ability. That would be really Nice. And I thought of this, there will come a point in time where you will be tested. You will be tested. That training, those tools, those that time, that talent will be put to the test. And we could go through all throughout Scripture and we could look at man after man and woman after woman who went through training. Jesus Christ spent time in the desert. Paul spent time in the desert. Moses spent time in the desert. The tools. We could go to 2 Peter Chapter number one, and there we find that God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. He's given us the tools we need. We have time. We have time. Okay, we do. Because the reality is, is we make time for the things we want to do. All of us do. Period. Teenagers are the same way, and you you can ask them. They've probably heard me say heard me. They have heard me say that before. They make time for what they want. They have time to play video games. Why? Because they want to play video games. If they wanted to read their Bible, they take the time and read their Bible. And the truth is it's the same thing for us as adults. If we want to read our Bibles and if we want to spend time with God and if we want to know what the faith is, we can make the time. We can make the time. The talent. Now, the reality is this. Some people are more talented than others when it comes to talking with people. My wife is quicker on her feet than I am. Um, something will happen and my wife's like, boom. She deals with it. And then I walk away and I'm like, oh, why didn't I say that? Man. My wife is a whole lot faster. Pastor is faster on his feet than I am. Um, and sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I was faster on my feet. And you know what? That, that's just an ability that they have. And I wish I was more that way, but I'm not always that way. But you know, one thing is for sure, we're all gonna be tested. You will be tested. It's gonna come. It's gonna come. So this contending... For the faith, we are exhorted to do it earnestly. It is something we should be striving after. We have a responsibility to know what the faith is and to defend it, to fight for it, to contend for it, to perspire for it, and to defend it, contend to fight for it. So why do I need to contend for this faith? Um, now, we could do a whole message on the faith. But ladies and gentlemen, the faith is not the gospel. It is not the gospel. The faith is not the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a part of the faith. The faith is this. The faith is everything this teaches, preaches, says. It's every word that God gave us is the faith. And it all matters. It all matters. We live in a day and age when people want to say, Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to fight over baptism. So they go to a Presbyterian church and they're keep sprinkled. Well, I'm sorry. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what it says. And you can tell me it doesn't matter. But you know what? God said it a certain way. And God worded it all a certain way. And people have bled and died and burned at stakes, been hung, drowned you name it over baptism. It matters. It matters. The Catholic church has destroyed people over baptism. Over baptism. We're not even talking about the deity of Jesus Christ and Mary and all the other things that, I mean, we're not even talking about that. We're just talking about baptism. It all matters. This book is the faith. You have a responsibility to know this book, what it says, what it teaches, and to fight for it. Why do you need to fight for it? Well, verse number four. Verse number four. Four. The word four is a why word. Earnestly contend for the faith? Four. So he's gonna answer the why question. There are certain men crept in unawares who were before ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa, what are these guys doing? A couple things I want you to think about these, these guys. First of all, certain men. These are average people. Listen, This isn't some guy that comes in with sandwich boards and it says, deceiver, liar, you're not gonna like me. It doesn't say that. He's just an average guy. This is a family. They come in. They sit in the back row or they sit halfway or maybe they sit on the front row. They take notes. They pay attention. They're a part of the church. They're here. They seem wonderful. This is certain men. This is just people. Okay, there isn't anything special. These are certain men. But notice what happens. They have crept in unawares. They are sneaky. They're creepers. They have panel vans. Okay, these people are sly. They're slick. They're deceptive. They're not what they are. They're one thing on the outside. There's something different on the inside. And they come in. They invite you over for dinner. They love on your kids. They treat your whole family nice. You have them over. You love on their kids. They start building relationships. Listen, it doesn't come out right away. They're crept in unawares. You know what's really interesting is this was a common problem. Um, uh, Take your Bibles, go over to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And look at verse number four, Galatians 2.4. <clears throat> Notice this, the Bible says, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily or privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now this is a different type of false teaching and stuff than what's going on here, but nonetheless, they are coming in privately. They are, they're they're, secret. they're like secret agents. They're like 007 against God. I mean, these are spies. They don't want you to know who they are yet. They don't want you to know. Um, not only that, look, uh, turn over just a couple pages to Ephesians chapter four. And look at verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Listen to this. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So this was a problem at Ephesus. Um, You could go over to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 and 33. You'll find there that there were people in that church questioning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's one reason why Paul wrote chapter 15 was because there were people saying it didn't happen. And they were asking stupid questions. So Paul dealt with that issue. Um, You could uh, go over to... You go to 2 Timothy 3, 6, but I want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 2. And uh, many people, many commentators have kind of e- equated this problem in Peter with the same problem that was in the book of Jude. But look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily... Shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring them, bring up themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So even Peter dealt with these guys who were secretly coming in and trying to get a foothold, trying to get a grip on people, and then infect them with their heresy and their wickedness and their their teachings. So here in Jude, you see these certain men, you see that they crept in, but notice their condemnation. Notice their condemnation. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. I don't necessarily totally understand what this means. What I think it means is I think God knew these men were gonna come along and God put in place the natural consequences for their choice. God knew these men were gonna be who they were and do what they did and choose this path. And so God put the natural consequences or condemnation in place for these men. And even uh, Peter talked about this Condemnation, that they, there would be a damnation to these men. And there is a judgment, there is a consequence. So, what is that consequence? Well, let's look at their character. Notice what it says. Number one, it says that they are, are ungodly men. There isn't anything godlike in them. Anything that you see in them that is godlike is nothing more than a facade, it is a mirage, it's an act. They are playing a part. Um, what's interesting is if you go throughout the New Testament, you find the word hip, hypocrite. The word hypocrite was a Greek word from their theater. And it literally meant, meant to be two-faced. And when an actor would come out on the stage, they would have a set of masks. Or they would have a mask that had two sides. And one side would be happy. The other side would be angry. The one side, and, and so that's how they would play their parts. And that's, that's really what the word hypocrisy means when you see it in the Bible. They play two parts. They're two-faced. And here, are these people, they put on a facade. They are ungodly men. Secretly. They aren't coming into church and... Smoking their dope, or bringing in uh, their their beer, or their alcohol, or their liquor, and they're not coming in here, and you know, and they're not they're not they're not outlandish. They're not flaunting it. It's behind the scenes. It's behind closed doors. It's in secret. It's in secret. Not only are they ungodly, but they turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Now that word lasciviousness is a serious word. It literally means sensuality or debauchery. Debauchery. There are some wicked things in this world. There are some wicked places in this world. These men take the grace of God and turn it into an excuse to fulfill any desire, impulse, craving, temptation, whatever it is they want, any lust, they fulfill it. These men are wicked. They are evil. And any lust or craving desire that they have, they indulge it. There is no saying no to themselves. They indulge it. They indulge it. Not only do they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, but notice this, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In their actions and in their attitudes in who they really are, they deny the Lord. Not only in their actions, but I would go as far as to say that they would verbally or in their hearts, they deny God. They deny God. These men, the scary thing is these men are everywhere. They're everywhere. And if we're going to contend for the faith, we have to be on guard. We have to know the faith if we are going to defend the faith. I want to read something to you, and I have to re-find it because it was not up on my desk. So give me just a second here. I want to read something to you, I want to know if you know where this comes from. I like this quote, and I want to know if you know it. This is how it goes. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. And I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I will never be the same in Jesus' name, amen. Can anybody tell me who said that or where that's from? Miss Judy, it's Joel Osteen. They say that his congregation of 50-whatever-thousand or however many are there at his church stand. They hold up their Bibles and in a monstrous voice, they say that. That's Joel Osteen. You can go home tonight and you can Google and, ask, and, and search Google and find out what does Joel Osteen believe about Islam and Muslims? My wife sat home one Sunday morning and she turned on the TV and she found Joel Osteen on. So she left it on. And Joel Osteen came out and he began to talk about this friend and how he and his friend, they, they would work out together, and they would fellowship, and, but they would also worship together. And on and on, he talked about this wonderful relationship with his friend, and at the end, his friend's a Muslim. Joel Osteen is a liar. And Joel Osteen is a wicked man. And Joel Osteen is deceptive. He's a snake in the grass. There's a man, his name is Matthew vines. Matthew vines has traveled the country, spoken all over the place. He has written a book. It's called God and the Gay Christian. And he has gone all over the country. He takes Romans chapter one and he destroys it. If you go to his website, you're going to find quote after quote after quote from U.S. News and Report and all kinds of secular media that just rant and rave about how wonderful his book is. Matthew Vines is a snake in the grass and a liar. And ladies and gentlemen, you can go to a Christian bookstore and they're all over the shelves. They're all over the shelves. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a responsibility and there is a need to know our Bible, to know what God says, to know what God teaches and to know what we believe so that we can defend it. Listen, not everybody is right and everybody doesn't get to be right. What is it? Is it Romans 2, Romans 3, where it says God stops the mouths and every man is a liar? God is truth. God knows. God gets to define define the terms and God gets to say what's right. We do not. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter how we feel. God says it. And it's important that we know what does God say so that we can stand up and defend it, so that we can fight for it. Our millennial... Age is so passive and so, oh, let's just all get along until you say something is true or something is wrong. But ladies and gentlemen, contending for the faith is not a passive or a laid-back thing. It might even be a violent thing. I mean, it's a serious thing. It's a confronting thing. It is a clashing thing. And there isn't anything wrong with calling a spade a spade. Isn't there anything wrong with it? So I hope that we will contend for the faith. I pray that we will call a spade a spade and that we won't get sucked in because that's what they do. That's what they do. They suck you in. It seems all so good and wonderful. They seem like such a godly, wonderful person and then they lower the boom. Then you find out who they really are, what they really believe, how they really live after they've already sucked you in. And that's what was going on in this church. They had accepted these people and these people were literally leaking their poison into individual after individual after individual. I would also say this. If somebody ever comes to Platte Valley Baptist Church and you're sitting in their home or they come to you and they say, hey, do you really think this is true? Or they cast some kind of doubt. I would encourage you, come to me, or pastor. Let us know. Don't just, don't just pass it off. Don't just think, oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Come to us, ask us. Ask us what the Bible says. Ask us what is true. Don't let them just come in and just start spreading things or talking. I've seen that happen. I've had people try to do that to me. So I would encourage you, if you ever have a question or a doubt or you wonder about something, ask. Ask. That way we can contend for the faith together. We can contend together. Earnestly contend for the faith. Father, thank you for your word and your love for us. Thank you for truth. Lord, I thank you that we can look in your word and know what the truth is, and we can boldly stand for it and proclaim it. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to contend for the faith in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.